You're listening to The Bookstorian Podcast, a podcast for book lovers and bookstagrammers. Hello and welcome to The Bookstorian Podcast. My name is Tegan and I'm your host. On today's episode of The Bookstorian Podcast, I'm going to have a chat to Kira from At Bitches Who Brunch With Books. Kira and I talk about one of her favourite authors, Natasha Lester's new novel, The Paris Secret. And just a warning, there will definitely be some spoilers on this episode. Hi, Kira. How are you today? Great. Thank you. Thanks for having us or well, me today. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You are representing at Bitches Who Brunch With Books. So you're one yep. of five women. Yes. Yep. That's right. Excellent. I'm very, I'm looking forward to speaking with you today. To get to know you a little bit more, I'd like to ask you an icebreaker question. So our icebreaker question for the podcast today is what is your favourite brunch food to munch while reading a book? Okay, yeah, um, I thought really hard about this one. There's probably two things that I um, had to mention. Uh, an Eggs Benedict from Cafe Elixir. Yeah, which is a bit of an institution for those in Perth who are north of the river. Um, and the other one is from one of our favourites, uh, Shoe Cafe, which is a smashed avo on toast with hummus. Um, and we quite often grab one of those takeaway and sit in a park and we'll often have that in a book and maybe a salted caramel donut as well. So <laughs> yeah, couldn't, couldn't pick between those two, but they're probably two of our faves. That sounds incredibly delicious. Yeah. <laughs> I went really boring and I just really like a slice of raisin toast. Well, look, you can't beat toast in the morning. That's no. for sure. <laughs> and I, it has to also be accompanied with a caramel brownie tea to tea with just the right yes. amount of milk. <laughs> We're generally big coffee drinkers on the Instagram feed yeah we do we do smash a tea out every now and then but we're all about the coffee the five of us so yeah and speaking about your bookstagram accounts you certainly like you said you have a lot of a coffee in your photos yeah. as well which looks quite delectable and yeah. you always seem to have a really beautiful brunch spread in your photos as well so whether it's a beautiful scroll or some bacon and eggs it definitely makes sense because so often when we read or when we catch up with friends, we have a snack or a meal beside us. Yeah. And that's kind of how, how it all started for us. So yeah. So I have got five colleagues who were my besties. Um, we were all working at the same school together. We were brunching, going out for drinks all the time. Anyway, most of us or all of us were all really big readers as well. And we decided why not uh, actually read in time with each other um, and start a book club. So, um, yeah, we'd take it in turns, pick a book, and then whoever's book it was would pick the location to go and brunch at and discuss the book as well. Um, and then we were like, oh, why don't we turn this into an Instagram page? And then it kind of, yeah, skyrocketed from there a little bit. Um, so we started Bitches Who Brunch With Books, um, a little bit of a play on um, another local account here, Bitches Who Brunch. We kind of didn't intend it like that. We didn't think it was not, well, we didn't think it was going to blow up quite as much as it did, um, but it's a bit of fun and uh, we get a lot of people write in and say, oh my God, we love your handle, so good. So um, yeah, and it kind of encapsulates what we do. We just 
go and have a gossip and have a read and eat something delicious and and then take a photo. So, and from there, kind of, I guess our feed aesthetic developed. So it's very much a bookstagram page, but with that foodie element into it. So we do focus on the bookstagram side of things and most of our followers are bookstagrammers, but we also connect with a lot of local Perth food accounts uh, as well. We just try every, every post we try to do either has coffee or something delicious to go with it as well. What book are you currently reading at the moment then? Um, and I personally um, just smashed out about five romances yep. to get myself back into the, the reading zone. Just last night, I finished Throne of Glass. So um, a little bit slow to the fandom on that one, but... Yeah, finished that last night and hooked, um, just downloaded the second one. The other one I'm in the middle of at the moment, which I started off the back of the Paris uh, Secret, which we will touch on later, is Burning Fields, which is an Australian book set in the uh, sugarcane fields of Queensland um, post-World War II. Couldn't get enough of World War II fiction after the Paris secret. So I jumped on that one. And who is the, so Throne of Glass is by Sarah J. Mars. And who's the author of Burning Fields? Burning Fields is Ali Sinclair. So she's a local Australian author. But yeah, very much a woman who, uh, it's it's about a woman who went to the city to work in the men's occupations oh, yeah. while they were away at war and then basically um, didn't have any work for her once they returned. And so it's about kind of um, rural Queensland picking up the pieces after World War Two. Yeah. Lovely. I find, so being based in Brizzy, I find there's not that many novels around that are based in Queensland. It can yeah. be quite difficult to pick up a read that has a, has a Brisbane base. Yeah, yeah. You'll have to pick this one up then. It's a good one. Yeah, definitely. I've written it down. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> Speaking of other books that are about World War II, we have both yeah. connected over The Paris Secret by Natasha Lester. Yeah. I think a good way of describing this book is it's a bit of a two-for-one deal. You're basically getting kind of two novels in one as you follow the story of Cat, and then you're following the story of Sky Margot and even Liberty to an extent, and Nicholas as well. So The Paris Secret is set in World War II, and it is based on the Penrose sisters, and one of them is quite a daring um, pilot, and the other one is Liberty, who seems to be quite defying in her personality and her attitude towards her her sister Skye. And we follow the lives of these two women and then threaded within as well is Christian Dior's sister, Catherine, who we meet a little bit later on in the novel. And in essence, there's a lot to learn in this book about about World War II, perhaps something that a lot of people haven't read about before. Some fun facts about the book before we begin. So the book itself was actually inspired by Christian Dior's sister, Catherine, and she actually worked during World War II and was eventually captured and tortured by the Nazis and being sent um, to one of the notorious 
concentration camps. A few years ago, so in 2017, the National Gallery of Victoria hosted a House of Dior exhibition. And this was something that the author Natasha Lester actually visited to and sort of her curiosity for this topic was sparked when she came across a letter that detailed Catherine's involvement in the war or being released during the war. And the House of Dior has a really beautiful connection to Australia because Australia was the first place outside of France to actually show Dior gowns in 1947, which is always nice, even though we know where you're reading a book by an Australian author and we're also reading a book about World War II that's not based in Australia, or a large part of it's not based in Australia, but there is still an Australian connection there to, to some of our characters as well as Dior itself. So we're going to have a little chat about the book. The first question that I have for you, Kira, is what perspective on World War II did you gain through reading this book? Uh, so much. Um, I'm really not a history buff. I, I don't mind a historical fiction, though most of my historical fiction seems to have been Outlander. Um, so very different era. And I first picked up a Natasha Lester book a few years ago. The first one being uh, Her Mother's Secret, which I read. Um, and because she's a local Perth author, we've been really lucky to go to quite a few of her um, author meet and greets. Um, she's also worked really closely with Dimmick's books over here to run books at bar sessions. So we get to go have a glass of bubbly with Natasha and she tells us about her books. But what I have been really fascinated with is the role of women. Uh, in World War II and just learning the different perspectives and the different roles that they had in the war. And uh, this, the, the Paris Secret was definitely my favourite one um, of hers so far. And I guess because Sky, who is a pilot, takes on such a daring role in the war, it's, it's all very exciting. And I think one of the moments that really sticks with me is that one of the... Um, first jobs that female pilots were given in World War II was basically to transport planes that had um, mechanical faults, minor ones obviously because they could still fly them um, and get them back into uh, mechanical wings where they could be fixed and they were made to fly I think from somewhere, I can't remember now, from somewhere in England but to Scotland in open air cockpits so it would have been like beyond freezing um, and they literally had to get carried out of the cockpits by the time they got to Scotland um, because they were basically frozen in their spot and it's just they were treated in such an inhumane manner it's shocking to think that it was only like 70 years ago <laughs> yeah so I'm just gaining the perspective on the importance um, of the roles that women's played that women played in World War II, I think is really fascinating. And I had such a book hangover after reading this one. Um, as I said, I had to go read Burning Fields, which I already had by Ali Sinclair, which is another Australian based one. But I also went and watched a whole lot of World War II films, just trying to get my fill of historical fiction at the time. Yeah. And I'd have to agree that learning about female pilots was definitely a new perspective that I gained from reading this story and just the struggles that they face compared to the males. So yeah. one of the pilots at one stage in the book, she runs a flat tire and then all of a sudden all the women pilots are, are grounded 
because of a flat tire yet there was male pilots having worse accidents and there was no kind of reprimand for the male pilots that were involved. And it's, yeah, I found that incredibly shocking that women were treated in this way and they were there trying to do their part just as much as a male was. Another shocking thing that I found when you come to the end of the author's notes as well, and you discover that all of the quotes that are used throughout the book are actually real that oh, they, yeah. those quotes and those things were written, those quotes were written in newspapers and magazines during the time that described yeah. female pilots as disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> I think there was another one. And this is like the thing that blows you away is, you know, Natasha Lester uses a lot of, uh, she uses fictional characters, but they're based on real events. Um, and one of them was they couldn't get one of the male pilots to do a particular job or um, fly a plane that was faulty and so they got Sky's character to come in and manoeuvre the plane like in a a very precise way and then they were like oh who's that and then when a female pilot got out it was basically to shame the male pilots for not doing it themselves yeah so it's just it's just crazy but I mean that's what made the book so interesting is is learning about these perspectives from our history. So, Yeah, and one of the other things that I learnt was definitely a little bit more about the history of Dior, so the involvement of Dior with Australia, but also Catherine Dior, and she wasn't just inspiration for a perfume. She was actually so much more. Learning about Catherine's accolades, so she was awarded, and I'm not going to be able to say them all in French, but one of the ones that I can definitely pronounce is a King's Medal for Courage in the Cause of Freedom by the British. So she was so much more uh, than her, her brother's sister. She was actually a very inspirational woman for her country, but also for her country's allies in world war two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, her narrative was a really interesting one. And I guess, you know, to know someone like Christian Dior so prominently and to not have known about everything that his sister had done, um, in the war, you know, it's really not common knowledge. Like, it's quite fascinating. So, yeah. And I think Natasha highlights why we don't know so much about it is because so many of these women didn't talk about their experiences because they didn't think people would believe them. Yeah, yeah. One of the motifs that comes through in the story is a pocket watch that Nicholas carries when he flies. I wanted to ask you, what would be your lucky charm if you were a pilot? What what item or possession would you take with you when you got into the cockpit of a plane? Yeah, I had to think really hard about this one because I didn't have something that instantly um, came to mind. But when I thought about it, I I thought the most fitting one was I have um, a pendant necklace that I usually wear. um, And on it is um, a few, I guess, pendants from places that I've travelled. Um, and the main ones that I've got on there is um, the Sicilian symbol. My husband is Sicilian and we um, have travelled there together. And the other symbol that I have on there 
is the Croatian heart symbol. And we've, I'm Croatian and, and we've both travelled there together. And so I guess for us, it's kind of like him and me travelling everywhere together um, in this pendant. So that seemed most fitting as something that would probably always go with me. And, and it would always go with me if I was going somewhere. So, yeah. That's really beautiful. It's, it's nice that there's a connection to jewellery and something that is worn um, on on your person as well that mm. that becomes a quite powerful symbol and and where it's been and what it comes from and also the sentimental value behind it as well mm. yeah it wasn't intended in that way it was kind of just things i collected as we traveled but um yeah it's very much become kind of that symbol of us and and our heritage so yeah that would that would be mine for sure that's really lovely segueing into the characters now the characters themselves were quite intriguing so it didn't just feel like we were learning a lot about history but we were getting to know some really incredible characters so some of them based on real people but uh, I think it would be fair to say most of our main characters are inspired by events and other people that existed during the time so what was your initial reaction to Margot and realizing that there was two Margots what what did you initially think yeah, that was a that was one of the real um I guess cliffhangers because you knew that one of the Penrose sisters was probably Margot, but not knowing which one and then not like obviously we knew that one of them is Katz's mother uh, or sorry grand grandmother and we knew that um it was one of them. But not knowing which one for so long, I think, yeah, was probably the biggest cliffhanger of the book. And you didn't see, didn't really see it coming. Like you hoped it would be Sky, but you just didn't know. And it created so much mystery throughout the book. You found yourself trying to pick up on the mannerisms of the character and what yeah. they did and what was in their home. And yeah, it was really the, one of my biggest motivations for reading the book is I wanted to know which sister was still alive. And I think that the fact that we get to the end of the story and actually both the sisters are still alive and it's Margot yeah. who has died is quite devastating as well in yeah. a way. Yeah. 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 Margot was quite a beautiful character and actually her, her storyline reminded me a lot of the film um, Allied, which I went back and watched. One of the other characters that I found quite frustrating is one of those Penrose sisters and it was Liberty. What were your thoughts yeah. on her? What was what was your reaction like to her? What was your emotions like towards her? Yeah, I think you summed it up pretty frustrating, but it's it's like you knew you wanted more from her, and I guess you kind of hoped that she had part to play and there was a reason why she was the way that she was. Um, and I guess it made a lot of sense as she was older and, and when um, Sky caught up with her in the war. But I guess it doesn't explain a lot of it from when they were younger. So, yeah. Unless yeah. she I guess, was more heavily involved in it than what we may have thought, obviously, because with their mother being involved, maybe Liberty knew more than maybe what Sky did. So, yeah. I think she, yeah, she, it, she angered me. Like, I couldn't understand why she reacted the way she did to Skye when they were younger 
And, yeah. and especially that it was quite mean, the things that she would yeah. do, like puncturing the wheels on her tire and things like that. I just, I couldn't understand it. And I do know like having a sibling, I do know that sometimes you get angry and lash out, but there never seemed to be any kind of nice relationship or relationship where they got, got along. It always seemed to be that Liberty was quite spiteful. And mm. I also found, I, when we got to that part in the concentration camp where it felt like she'd betrayed Sky and yeah, was like leading yeah, yeah. Sky to death, I nearly wanted to throw the book. I was so cranky and so <laughs> angry at Liberty yeah. and what she'd done. And then at the end of the book, I was nearly close to crying because the fact that Liberty was the one that ended up saving Sky and her baby was just mm. crazy. But I don't know why they never found their way back to one another. That's, yeah. I think that's a big gap that I have in the book. The fact that they're in their nineties and how long would it have been 60 years after the war? Yeah. Yeah. Probably 60 to 70 years. The fact that 60 to 70 years after the war had ended and neither one of them had found their way back to each other, I thought was a really big gap in the story. Yeah. 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 I guess in some ways that's kind of just life though, isn't it? Um, And maybe there was just too much water under the bridge for them to come back to. And I think both of them had tried to leave that life of the concentration camp and the war so far behind them. And yet their final connection of them together is all of that time. So I guess it was just them trying to separate themselves from all the terrible things that happened. Uh, one of the other devastating things was Nicholas and the <laughs> fact that Sky and Nicholas had not found each other. And it felt like Liberty was still partly to blame because she'd told that lie to Sky to get Sky on that bus, but ended up changing the course of her whole life. And yeah. that was incredibly sad. Yeah, that's a pretty common thread for some of Natasha Lester's books is that, um, you know, as you said, devastating. I like to call it devastatingly beautiful. <laughs> but, yeah, really bittersweet. Yeah, I mean, a beautiful love story and the fact that they get so close to connecting and then just don't quite get there at the very end. Um, but I guess we get that satisfaction in Kat's story in the end. So, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And even, uh, and even there's some um, sense of or there is some sense of closure, I suppose, for Sky's character as well. She She's reunited with her sister, but she gets to see Nicholas again. And even if he's not how she remembers him. Yeah. 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 So even when we find out about Elliot's connection to Nicholas in it all is just really, really beautiful as much as it's a tension between him and Kat at, at one point. And I think, I think that's what makes uh, Natasha's book so satisfying is the way that we have these um, separate stories that are actually quite interwoven, but we don't actually know how much until, until the very end um, and, and the reveal and the way that they're all connected, I think is, is really special. And that's very much a part of the style of her writing. And we get that through a lot of her books as well. And there's actually 
a lot of common characters through her books. So we'll often see them pop up in quite a minor role in, in different books as well. And The Paris Secret um, has a strong connection to her previous book, The French Photographer, as well. And one of the things you suggested to me before I read The Paris Secret was to read The French Photographer. Yeah. And why was that? Can you give me a little little yeah. spoiler? Because The French Photographer... So there's a character called Jessica, who is a famous French, Jessica May, um, who's a famous French photographer and model for Vogue based on a real character. And um, she makes an appearance in the Paris Paris Secret. Yeah, she definitely makes an appearance during the Paris Secret. As soon as you said her name, I was like, oh, right. There's yeah, the yeah. <laughs> I really like um, yeah. do that. That's it's quite clever, and the, this whole book was quite cleverly written in the fact that all the story was laid out for you, but there was such a sense of mystery about each of the characters, and I found myself sort of scrambling, going, "Oh, what's the connection? I want to guess the connection. I want to figure yeah. it out before the book tells me what it is." And yeah. I didn't quite get there. <laughs> Yeah, I think the only one I picked up on is I knew that um, Margot and Nicholas's relationship maybe wasn't what it seemed. Um, And I guess because he kind of made his affections known to Skye quite early on when um, when they reunited. So I kind of knew that that um, relationship maybe wasn't what it seemed. Yes, I agree. And at some stages you would start thinking maybe Margot, as in Kat's grandmother, Mm. was the real Margot. And then right towards the end in that final part of the book, we actually get the answer of, of who's who. She definitely leads you down the garden path for each of the different scenarios. And then it it (laughs) clicks at the very end. Yeah, I just loved it. Um, I had a massive book hangover for days. I still do. Like, I still, like, sigh every time I think about it. Yeah, just her, her, book, her books are absolutely beautiful and we're very lucky that she's a Perth author and that we've had so much access to her to discuss her books with her as well. Yeah. That's, re- that's really cool. I'm very envious of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, she would have... She's got a new book coming out soon, so... She often does um, quite big um, Australian book tours, but, um, you know, the last one was cut short because of COVID. So, yeah. So thank you so much for joining me today, Kira. Oh, thank you for having us. It's been so much fun talking about book and food. Like, what more do you need? (laughs) You have been listening to the Bookstorian podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and follow me on Instagram at the Bookstorian podcast.